Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're on a mission to unpack more layers of immersive learning. Monica Arez is an expert in this particular field. As a Harvard Graduate School of Education alum, a former math educator, a planetarium director, Monica has been on the forefront of how emerging technology like VR and virtual worlds can help us enhance learning. So we're excited to have her on the show today. Welcome, Monica. Oh, thank you so much. Hello, and uh, I'm really excited for this conversation. So am I. I always want to start with an origin story, and that is what got you interested in the first place with VR and virtual worlds? It's funny, actually. I think I'm realizing more and more now as I've kind of gone through building and, and finding solutions for this particular technology that I've always loved all things 3D. I mean, it started back with my viewfinder when I was really little to <laughs> Omni theater movies to all those history and science projects I got to build with my dad where we made models and we built structures. And that's what I remember about my education growing up. Uh, but I think it was actually my first job right out of college that the opportunity to build these solutions through 3D technology um, really came to my radar. So I was working at Deloitte and I was fortunate enough that they had this incredible corporate outreach program, which I haven't really seen too many organizations do. They asked us to volunteer in the public schools in Manhattan. And honestly, being opportunistic, I was like, sure, I would love a couple hours outside of my cubicle. And I remember walking into these schools and I loved working with the students, but I often felt this weird feeling of like emptiness walking out because I just didn't observe a whole lot of teaching and learning going on. And so it got me to really think, what was it that got me excited about learning when I was you know, in school? And for me, we didn't start bringing technology into the classroom till college. But at that moment, we could start to model things. We could make planets move around their stars. We could model the topographies of mountains and, and landscapes. And it just jumped alive to me and it stuck in a way that it hadn't before. And so I really wanted to figure out how to bring this down to younger grades. I wanted their textbooks to go from this like flat, boring, black and white representation to something that just jumped off the page and connected to the real world um, and got them excited through exploration and more of a story-based way to learn. Um, but again, none of the teachers or students had those tools readily available, even though I knew that they were starting to come to market, that we had at least the first step in that we could do. So I, um, I started thinking deeply about what it was that I was after. And I think it was curiosity, right? It's mm -hmm. the ability to unlock something that makes you want to learn more on your own, to explore further, or even just question how things are done and maybe a, an attempt to do it differently. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I met with him a couple of times we're building VR apps, and he explained these moments as the perfect soundbite. And he's like, well, they make you learn something new, they make you smile, and they make you want to tell someone else. And that's exactly right. Like if you can unlock that feeling in somebody else and they want to go home and tell their family at the dinner table, you know that you, you know, impacted them in, in, a, in a way that was really engaging. So out of curiosity, I went and visited other schools, found that they were all largely the same. 
And I knew at that moment, I wanted to be a part of the solution. So I pivoted and I left that beautiful job in the corporate world. And I went to the graduate um, Harvard Graduate School of Education to figure out how to build curriculum with new technologies. And it's just been this beating drum inside me ever since. I feel really fortunate. I've been able to dedicate my career to it and evolve and grow as a technology does. Mm. It's so impressive to read your resume because there's such breadth there of experience. There's two in particular, though, based on the the genre of our podcast that we want to sort of unravel a bit more. And one is you as a math teacher. So, you know, think back to the days when you were a math teacher and fast forward to now. Tell me, how has your experiences in the classroom as a math teacher helped you with building virtual reality experiences? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think so much of math is abstract and we teach it with all these single isolated examples rather than this fluid story, recognizing that, you know, I guess math is the language of science and science is a language of nature and nature moves and it changes and it's 3D. And so I wanted what my students were learning in the classroom to connect to these real world examples. And this was pretty hard with just 2D representations. So I always made it my mission to figure out how to create environments and simulations where they could apply these concepts um, to solve the problems and use some of that instant feedback. Like we had the start of those sliders where you can move data backwards and forwards and see how it impacted things um, to help them make you know, informed decisions to use higher order thinking to connect what we were doing to the problems that we were trying to solve. So for example, now in VR, we can actually use those environments to construct bridges with certain parameters or manage a store's inventory or try to control population based on a number of variables or stop the, the spread of disease that grows at an exponential rate. These are all things we can now model visually through story um, and this sort of scenario and simulation-based learning um, only strengthens all of the students' understandings and applications. But what I really like is students can go into these environments together, which allows them to collaborate and problem solve and just reinforces the valuable skills and their understanding of all those mathematical concepts, which often, if you just solve a problem, you don't really fully understand why you're solving that one isolated sliver of a problem and how it actually connects to everything else. Um, and in this way, it actually helps us be a lot more interdisciplinary, right? So I think you can um, tie it into all the different ways that we talk about science and chemistry and history and nature. And suddenly we're talking across multiple different classrooms and subjects now, tying it all together. So when they go out into the real world, they look at things, they notice things, they know that their language is behind them. They know that there's the invisible behind it and they start to understand how everything's connected. And really that nature just repeats its patterns over and over again. And this is how we tie it together. Of course, I think the hard thing with VR is their environments are actually quite challenging to make. They're fairly expensive. You need a pretty good developer to do it. And so I do want to stress that you can do it on a simpler level, right? We can actually use immersive tech, especially augmented reality, which just overlays on top of your existing world. You don't need a headset. You can use it on a mobile device. But it is also a really powerful visualization tool. So when I was teaching geometry, I thought it was so strange that we started off with these undefined terms for which like the rest of the subject would be based on. So it starts with point, line and plane, none of which have depth, like they're actually invisible or nothing there. And then we give students this 2D piece of paper with a dot on it. And we're like, there's a point, right? But in reality, it's 
it's more like a piece of dust just floating in the room. It's a location. And if we only draw a dot on a 2D piece of paper, it could actually be the end of a ray that could go the, you know, exactly in the opposite direction, but you'd never really know. And so helping them understand exactly what we're talking about and how these things all move throughout space, not just a flat piece of paper, I think, again, helps them understand how we make that mapping into all the real world scenarios. Um, but I do remember as that teacher, and again, I just left graduate school, I was like, I'm going to use tech to make sure that we can make these lessons more connected. Um, I wanted to start almost with like 3D shapes, right? I At that point, we didn't have computer simulations of prisms and all the different 3D shapes. And I, I hacked it together in a terrible way just so that they could rotate it and scale them and pull them apart and dissect the shapes and gain that better understanding of the properties as they started to understand surface area and volumes. And, you know, I knew that this would be the best way to help them develop that spatial reasoning. We used to keep it secret until high school. Like now they started integrating mm. all the 3D spatial reasoning from a younger age. But back then it was like, oh no, they're not capable of higher order thinking until high school. So they, they didn't play all the games that our students play today, and they didn't really have that capability, which uh, it was quite a big leap uh, back then to, to start mapping into these 3D spaces. So that was important for me to help them understand what shapes were and to be able to manipulate them. But also, I didn't want to tell them the rules, right? Rather than telling them the interior angles of a triangle are always 180 degrees, I would build simulations so they could move all the vertices around and see that they just couldn't break them um, to know that, of course, that had to always be true. And that's something that they would then own that knowledge and it would stick with them. So all of these things I had to hack together with terrible software, but they're all now possible with immersive technology from different levels. Some of it is on 2D, but you can really manipulate and understand 3D visualizations through it. Some of it's an augmented reality where you overlay in your world, and some of it is fully immersive in, in virtual reality. But it's now opening that door to simulation and exploration-based learning that helps students just better understand and retain those mathematical concepts. And on top of that, it's just a much better way to learn, right? Mm. So it's a much more engaging uh, way to explore and to experience all these different properties that we're trying to teach them. I, I vividly remember my math teacher way back in the day, and she worked so hard to bring in these giant buckets of ma manipulatives. So they were usually plastic, like you said, 3D shapes, and they, they didn't have a lot of volume to them, but at least they were, you know, big enough that we were able to at least stand them up. And I just, I felt bad because A, the, the bucket that she brought in was huge and heavy, but B, more importantly, like you said, that those were my memorable days of math where I actually got to use my hands and she was giving me provocations about what to do with these shapes. Uh, and the other thing that struck me that you said is the whole idea of how do we get these curricular outcomes to a broader perspective. And I couldn't help but think of how a grocery store, a virtual grocery store is just ripe for math learning. It's ripe for all other sort of types of learning. Like, where do you look on the shelf? You know, do we, do we give out coupons? And so uh, I echo what you're saying in regards to the fact that we've sort of opened up Pandora's box when it comes to the ability to get kids to lean in more and engage to to what they're learning. The second thing I want to talk about, which is such a neat pivot, is your work as a planetarium director. And, and what, what did you learn from that and take away that makes you that, that much more astute as an immersive learning consultant now? 
Yeah, that was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in my career. You know, again, when I was a math teacher, I spent hours every single night trying to create lessons that were visually rich and engaging and tied the real world to what we were doing. And I came up short mainly with the 2D surfaces I had. And so when this offer came along to teach at a, at a planetarium, uh, it was to teach astronomy to grades K through 12. I was so excited to have this enormous dome above me suddenly as my canvas, right? And so it felt like I was getting one step closer to bringing these lessons to life. Um, I was also the kid that went to space camp twice. I knew that if NASA was ever going to send a kid to space, I wanted to be fully prepared. And uh, unfortunately, like millions of other kids, that dream was squashed. But it did instill this love of exploration and the unknown. And um, it was really fun to bring that to students. And so... Oddly enough, this planetarium was very, very old. And so we just had the star ball in the middle of it where you could project the night sky. It was beautiful. You could just kind of move it across the dome. Um, but I ended up spending hours on weekends in there rigging like paper towel tubes and films and mm -hmm. lights underneath them to project nebula and galaxies and whatever I could to bring curiosity to every single grade. And I loved that I could start off every lesson by saying, you know what? We don't have answers to half of the things we're going to talk about today, but what you're thinking we might discover is right in 10 years. And it just gave them that permission that I'm not looking for a right or wrong answer. We're not going to have a test on exactly what should or shouldn't be. This was a whole bunch of stuff none of us really knew and understood. And so to be able to kind of bring them into this environment, which could minimize distractions, help them take a journey to places we couldn't otherwise go or to daydream about what was out there and to look at all the patterns that we could identify in nature and then use them to help us understand all the things that were way too far away to ever reach. Um, I thought that this was a really fun way to help them grow and understand. But mostly I think what struck all of them was the ability to give them perspective, right? To show them the earth, from space and see just how fragile it is, how thin our atmosphere is, or that if you zoom out just a little bit, we become microscopic. Um, and just kind of to show them all of those different cycles that, you know, when a star dies, it releases its gas and dust back into space, and then it forms new star nurseries from which new stars and solar systems form, and we're constantly recycling, and the patterns are all largely the same. Um, and so I think it just helped them connect the science and the math uh, to their that curiosity and sort of that emotional level of learning. Um, and so I didn't know it then, but these ingredients were all precursors to building VR experiences, right? I didn't even know the technology existed back then, but sort of uh, helping them understand how we needed to bring all these pieces together for a truly memorable experience. Uh, it was sort of what that experience was able to open up for me. So eventually educators would come in and watch the lessons and they'd say, my gosh, you have to do this on a larger scale. Mm. You have to reach more than just the students coming into your classroom. And I knew again that technology was the answer, right? And so I started to look for those opportunities where we could increase access to education through technology. Again, this was something that we started to get some platform-based learning, some applets, as we were calling it, for visualization, but we weren't really using technology to scale. So I went to Amazon, where I helped them create interactive math labs um, for, for a while as they were building out a new learning platform. And then over to Facebook, where I think in my second week there, someone gave me a demo of a virtual reality headset. And it was old. It was, you know, a phone on your face. People got sick. The experiences were terrible, but I <laughs> saw something in there. And um, I knew it was a medium that we always needed for the kinds of lessons I wanted to create.
and mm. uh, never looked back since. I, I, I've been able to really try to figure out all the pathways in which we need to build solutions to help with the learning space. Um, definitely not easy. It's messy, but knowing that education's needed solutions for a long time and that this is opening up that new pathway, I think is thrilling. I looked on your website and I, I found a term there that really intrigued me and struck me. I think most educators nowadays are doing a much better job of what we might call the hybrid model of teaching. So we're realizing that, you know, we can't just rely on lecture. We can't even really just in today's digital native students that we teach rely necessarily on textbooks. We need sort of supplementary ways for kids to engage, which we might call the hybrid model. So like you alluded to earlier, maybe send them to an app um, that's on some web platform where they can click and maybe drag, try and engage a little bit. But you coined the term, which was new to me, called the tribid model. Can you explain a bit more about what that is? Yeah, and this came about again, the pandemic changed so much of our perspective for how we teach, how we deliver and the value. And so we all became very fluent in the hybrid model during this sort of global experiment to bring learning online, where we were forced all the way to one end of the spectrum of bringing everything online. And we realized, actually, it's not the best way to learn. You can get a lot of knowledge that way, but that we were missing pieces. So as soon as we could, we made sure that students were able to, to go back to classrooms and be with educators and be with each other. So the hybrid model is really just that. It's part in person, part online. I think in this digital world where so much information does come into us through technology, it's, it's the most comfortable place for us to play given what we have. But with Web3, with uh, immersive technologies, with all that's coming at us, that's going to allow us to interact differently and have increased vis visualizations and digital spaces where we can join together. Uh, what occurred to me is we're going from a hybrid model to a tribrid model. And all that means right now is we can add these extra layers of simulation on top of current spaces where we already learn. So if you're, again, teaching phases of the moon, it takes a million little drawings to show people on 2D. Um, that's an example where maybe if I were teaching it online, I would have an app where it could pop open, you could put on the headset or, or pop it open on your desk where they are. If you can jump between the earth, moon and sun as they're all rotating and revolving, in 30 seconds, your brain understands why we see phases of the moon. It's a much better way to learn about that particular um, you know, topic. So where it makes sense, it's great if we can have that 3D model representation or simulation. Where it doesn't, we still have the other two. And I think the beauty is going to be that we will eventually seamlessly be able to move between all three of these modalities, depending on where it makes sense and where the teaching needs to lead us. So we have a third component, which is why I think opening up to a tribrid model is going to help all of us try to embrace that it's not replacing everything we've already done. It's adding a new tool and a new way that we can connect to the material that wasn't there before. So Teachers, as you know, are super busy people. And, you know, it took a while for many of them to get to the hybrid model. And now, you know, thanks to research, we're realizing that maybe this tribid model is going to unlock more learning. But uh, I've set up a few VR labs in various schools, and I still run into uh, the laggards or the naysayers. And, you know, they, they, they say things to me like, you know, I might say, here's a great VR application you could use for your curriculum. And, and they sort of say, well, I, I just need to get through 
my content first. And then maybe once we get closer to Christmas as a break for the kids, we'll let them try that in the XR lab or the VR headsets. How do we, how do we flip the script for them? How do we, you know, I've tried a few ways, but how would you convince the teacher that maybe, you know, this new third way is just as good? Yeah. And I love that you're actually trying to bring headsets in. We have found it's one of those things you can show them videos, you can talk about it. It's very hard for people to understand the value of VR until they actually put themselves in there and go through an experience. And I often have teachers come out who are in there for the first time, eyes lit up with a million ideas of what they would want to do in there. But it takes them actually experiencing it to understand it. I think it's important, like you said, to look at the data. We're finally starting to get some numbers out. We were doing a lot of research on you know things pre-pandemic that don't fully help us make these decisions moving forward. But what is starting to come out um, is like National Laboratory released a study where we remember about 5% of what we learn in lecture style learning, 10% of what we read, and 75% of what we learn in VR. And that's huge, right? And, and so when you think about, again, why we're learning better, your brain gets tricked into thinking that you're there. You are immersed. There aren't any distractions. You get to play with the environment in a way that makes sense to you or make sure that you're you know, curating it in a way that helps uh, certain learners learn the way that's best for them. Um, we have seen some of the stats come out of medical training where uh, those that trained with VR versus those that trained with traditional training models, like just you know an instructor and iPads and books, um, those that train in VR had a 230% increase in performance the first time they used the real medical equipment. That reduces time it takes to train. It reduces errors. Um, you know, their body language gets used to it and they're very fluent with those skills. And so I'm hoping that as we do more and more kind of design-based research on all the apps that are coming out, it will help people understand where that value really is from that research point of view. Um, but I think too, understanding that access, and you've alluded to this a little bit, your teacher brought in a huge bucket of you know manipulatives. Not every school could afford those. Not every teacher got access to those because there's maybe one classroom set, so their students missed it. This is the kind of thing that not all schools can afford expensive labs. There are millions and millions of dollars to build, but we can build exceptional labs in VR. And then yes, you do have to purchase the headset itself, but once you get that, it allows all of the labs to come to you, the robotics labs to come to you, which otherwise that even the pieces to replace are extremely expensive and often they can't sustain those in schools. It allows you to take your students on field trips. I mean, in the inner cities of New York, they don't often get out to national parks. And they have shown that putting some of those students in VR and helping them feel like they're in nature just calms anxiety. It helps them, again, connect to things that they're learning that they wouldn't otherwise be able to go and experience in the real world. So I think we're starting to see that value. And as more headsets become available in schools. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is the ability to connect to any expert in the world um, or to each other, right? Even at the graduate level during the pandemic, we sent headsets out to groups of students that had never met each other, but they were all over the world. When they first went in them, they didn't go to the apps to play or even to learn. They went in there into social experiences just to hang out with each other. They craved that connection to other people with body language, passing objects to each other, and that sense of presence in a way that they couldn't get through Zoom. And so I think remembering all these value adds that we can actually now bring to any learner anywhere 
and what it can actually do to their learning experience and their connection to the world beyond just the school, um, I think is really significant. And then, of course, the stuff we all know, right? Like you can now do things that are too dangerous or too expensive mm-hmm. or otherwise impossible to get to. You can play with scale and shrink down to the level of a human cell, right? And you can explore inside the human body or you can time travel to the past and relive historic moments and feel like you were actually there. So these are all completely new ways to learn that we couldn't do before we had this tribrid model, right? And so I think it is it is trusting a little bit that it's not perfect. Uh, we're still in the earlier stages. We're still fumbling in a couple of places, but the possibility and the potential to have this really transform learning is going to take all of us. And so it has to start in sort of almost those piloty phases and make sure that we're helping to support educators as they get brave enough to want to try it and work with their students. So um, I think the other stat I love is that a couple of the people who've been using this regularly, they're seeing engagement go up, which is a huge problem in education right now. If we Mm. can increase engagement, I mean, that's a huge win, right? Um, But they're also seeing attendance increase, especially for those that are learning online. So those that can now go into simulated environments for their lectures and you go in as an avatar, but the teacher's also an avatar and it's like live instruction, they're all coming to class more. And, um, you know, we're kind of showing that 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 learning capability is also starting to improve. So I try to tie it back for educators who are a little bit reluctant that, you know, I think we all went into teaching for a reason. Um, We all have that teacher that changed our lives somehow, that, that got us curious, that motivated us to become a lifelong learner. And I believe that most of us went into teaching because we wanted to be that for somebody else. Um, You know, pandemic, red tape, testing, like all of this has caused a whole lot of fatigue, I think, in the teaching industry right now. This technology, I believe, can help deliver the experiences to the students that teachers have been longing for to unlock sort of that, that lifelong learning spark that they know students will take with them and remember for the rest of their life. So of course, it's easy to poke holes in new technology. They're always the, always the ones super resistant. They've learned how to succeed in the current operational model. And, and change can be frustrating and hard. But I think it's also important for us to really remember the reasons to innovate right now, right? We're fusing just like an enormous challenge in our educational system for so many reasons, um, including, you know, like in- achievement gap, uh, inequality, teacher shortages, outdated curriculum and, and teaching methods, um, and a lot of mental health and well-being. All of these are, are hugely problematic. Um, and so we can't really afford to do nothing. I think I always keep saying, like, we shouldn't waste the pandemic. We learned a lot in those years of, mm. wow, we need change. Let's make sure that we build forward. Um, and so I think as this technology does evolve, it's important to look at it as a new pathway that's opening up to increase access to education and fundamentally transform the way that we learn. And um, I just think we've all been waiting for this catalyst, and it's here right now. And so I really hope that we all embrace what's coming, not just with metaverse technologies, but AI and all the others to say, wait a minute, let's make sure that we're prioritizing education. That's part of the conversation. It's not the last to the table like it often is, but it's probably the best use case right now for us to embrace these technologies to drive true change. Yeah. AI is really, you know, taking a forefront here to the point where I'm seeing both AI and immersive virtual worlds start to marry each other. What are, what's your prediction in regards to that? We all have somehow seen how powerful 
chat uh, GPT has been, and now as you know, as we speak, uh, version four, chat GTP four is out. You know, the marriage of these two, including having an avatar that can act as an assistant, almost like a personal assistant within a virtual world, just almost blows my mind. And I just wanted wanted sort of your ending thoughts on where you think that's going to take us. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was excited when AR and VR came to the scene, but I have to admit, I believe AI and the combination of AI and MR will make this moment in time just like truly pivotal and will change everything. I mean, it truly is is seismic. And I love that we are the ones who actually get to lay the first stones of that foundation. Um, I was quoted as saying pretty recently that AI is the calculator for writing. And I really believe that when it comes to education, it's paralleling uh, kind of what the calculator did do for math, right? My dad had to use a slide rule and it took him the entire class to figure out how to just get the answer. We could push a button and get that answer in, in three seconds. So we use the rest of the class to connect it to real world examples for higher order thinking, for strategic reasoning. Um, I think that right now we're in that moment again where technology is we don't have to memorize anymore. We don't have to waste our time doing those calculations, whether it's the reading or writing equivalent, it's going to give us this new foundation from which to start. And so now we do get to figure out how to use class time for debate and for all that strategy that we often don't bring into the classroom the way that we should. And so um, I think you're right. Like what you said, it's going to help us have personal assistance. I'm already using it all the time. I'll often think of two intro paragraphs and I'll say, which one's better? And it spits out, actually, the second one's better. You have a better hook, you use data for credibility, and you have a call to action. Like that didn't just tell me yes or no. It gave me an entire understanding of where my writing could improve and which ones were better said. I have a kid who oftentimes when he can't do his math homework, he puts it into chat GPT and it doesn't spit out the answer. It spits out an entire explanation and it helps him understand it on a much deeper level. And so, again, not being so fearful of, oh my gosh, everyone's going to plagiarize, everyone's going to cheat, but it's here. How do we actually use it to help with that personalization of learning that we all need, to help with the different levels of reading that we might want to get to, to help us understand how our writing can improve? I think there's so much there that we have just kind of like peeked under the surface of, but I do think these new tools will push us to access and grow our brains in new ways, resulting in just like one of these extraordinary evolutionary moments in education that we'll look back on and say, that's where we finally innovated. That's where we finally were able to change it. Well said. Uh, I'm mindful of time. Is there anything else maybe that we haven't talked about that you feel uh, the listeners might want to hear as it pertains to uh, VR, virtual worlds, the metaverse? I would say, I guess I think of it this way again, it's like there's a power of presence that we now can add to the scene that we didn't have the capacity to do before. And so much learning has gone online now that, you know, we can gain a lot of that knowledge. But what this is helping us do is actually sort of interact with technology differently. The ultimate goal is to make it more seamless. And if you think about it for thousands of years, we interacted as these first person spatial experiences with whatever was around us. The technology generation brought us into like this rectangular generation where we became third-person observers of the story. This technology is all in an effort to help us get back into that first-person spatial lived experience, but now we can do it with anyone in the world in any kind of environment that we want. And so we really are entering in this new era of learning right now. And I think what I'm most excited about is the fact that it will take all of us. 
right? What we're building, it doesn't have a playbook. And we're the ones who get to figure out what these first few steps is are, which like, it's a lot of pressure, but um, I think it's also thrilling. It takes sort of that bravery and trial and error. And the ones who often see opportunity before others do and are brave enough to kind of look around that corner and, and try to take the first steps in. I believe education is where we can best innovate that way. And educators have that brain to do it. Um, so I think our job isn't to stop it the way we always see, you know, there's even when the internet first came out, there were people trying to stop it. It just, it, it's a natural part of the progression, but I think as educators, our job is really to work with it and just sort of delight in those new pathways that are opening up. It's, truly what I call innovation and action. And it's just, you know, of course, the transition is going to be a little bit messy. Um, there's always going to be that part that disrupts or breaks, but the opportunity to build differently in a way that opens access and just transforms the way, it, you know, we really need learning to transform. It's sitting right in front of us and it's ours to, to take and make sure that we're building responsibly. So I think this moment does belong to all of us. It's going to take all of us. I think we don't know exactly what the future will look like, but it has to be a combination of creators and developers and educators and institutions and organizations of all sizes right now. And, and I've never seen that collaboration have to take hold for something to move forward. And, and this is it. So um, I think, you know, whatever happens in this moment will benefit generations to come. And I cannot wait to build it collectively and, and see where we all get to. Amazing. And how lucky actually, and I mentioned this before we went on air, that we have you more as a consultant than siloed within Meta, because I think more and more companies are realizing that, you know, if they're going to scale up these kinds of technologies, whether it be AI or whether it be immersive learning they need educators like you to sit at the table and help guide them through this. So uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it, it takes, you know, a plethora of different people from different backgrounds. But if uh, if we're all headed in the same direction, then I think, you know, it's going to happen. So thank you so much, Monica, for leading the way and, and being such a, a thought leader when it comes to this. And how could people get a hold of you if they're wanting to learn more or dive deeper into some of the stuff that you talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely on LinkedIn, you can easily find me there. And I have a website, which is just www.monicaarez.com and have some information there and, and uh, form to fill out to get in touch or to read some of the press releases or see some of the experiences that I've been able to work on. So um, yeah, please definitely reach out. would love to continue this conversation. It's also a great way for educators who are new to the space join some of the groups, try to join the conversations. There are a lot of them out there, whether it's on Discord or LinkedIn or, um, you know, there's so many different surfaces now where you can at least kind of pop in and start to hear where the conversation's going and add questions that people can really noodle on and, and try to collectively come up with together. So um, I encourage everyone, again, read up, um, but also kind of jump in and try to get your hands on some demos if you can, because um, that really is the best way to understand what's possible. Brilliant. Excuse me. Thank you so much, Monica, for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.